Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the church in Acts. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to ask you to do us a favor. If you have benefited from listening to these sermons, if you found value in listening to this podcast, then it would be awesome if you would consider leaving us a rating and or review. If you'll do that, it will help our sermons be heard by more people, and we think that that is super important. Like I said, if you find these sermons to be important for you, help somebody else hear them by leaving us a rating or review. Hey, again, thanks for taking some time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Good morning, my name is Chad, I'm the pastor of this church, and uh, this morning I'll be preaching to myself in a lot of ways, because, uh, just quite, quite frankly, a lot of times in my life, I treat the gospel story, the story that, that drives everything we do as, as Christians, and if you're not a Christian, just to be upfront, there's a reason that we gather here on Sunday mornings. There's a reason we ask people to serve. There's a reason that we try to get together and pray. There's a reason that we share in each other's spiritual lives. And it's this, this single story called the gospel. And, and the gospel is simply in the most basic way, and I'll come back to it later in the sermon, but it's the story of how we all have been disobedient to God And so instead of sending us to hell, God came down in the man that we call Jesus. He lived a sinless life. He didn't disobey the rules of God at all. He died uh, a horrible death, not just physically, but spiritually. And he did that for our sins. And then three days later, he got out of the grave. And, and that's our story. I mean, that's why we're here. That's why we do this. That's why uh, our, we would tell you our lives have been changed, all because we've come to, to believe that story right there. But sometimes, in fact, a lot of times for me, I view sharing that story with other people as, as this, this burden that I must bear. Seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Like, that's a, a good story. That's a nice story. That's, that's something that even if people don't believe it, they should be happy to hear the idea of it. I mean, that God would love them that much. That's pretty incredible. <clears throat> but yet, I can treat it as this thing that I, that I, I need to do. I have to do. I, I should do. I should share this story with other people. And I think that, that really... Oh, that's probably in large part because of the society that we live in. And society has kind of told this lie. And the lie is that if we share that story, then somehow that equates with we're trying to shove our religion down your throat. It doesn't seem to be that way with any other religion. It only seems to be that way with Christianity. But, but there's this idea that if we share that story, then, then we are pushing our religion onto other people. And And I think that subconsciously, I buy into that lie and I start to feel that lie. And so then I think, wow, what a burden it is to have to share this this incredible story with other people. And if you're a Christian, then I think uh, you kind of, if you think about sharing the gospel, it's in in one of two ways. Uh, 
not at all, right? Like it's never in your mind. You don't even think about t- telling anybody the story that you believe that we just talked about. It, it's, you don't even consider like people that don't know the story or have never heard the story and you think it's somebody else's job to tell that story to others. You know, that's what I'm for. That's what the, you know, other Christians are for, missionaries are for. You don't think about it at all. Or, or I think that you are like me and you you consider it this burden i have a friend who doesn't love jesus and i feel the weight of that and so man i should i need to i ought to tell them this story and the early church the first church that we've been studying in this series they just don't come across like that at all they don't see the gospel as a burden. They see it as this, this thing that they get to share because of its life-changing power. And we're gonna get to that in a minute. But before we do, let me catch you up for those of you that haven't been here during this series, that haven't heard all of the sermons in this series. We've been looking at the church in Acts, which is the very first church. I mean, not like the first church in a city, not like the first Baptist church, like the first Christian church. And in this church... As we look at Acts, we see these differences between them and, and what we think of when we think of church in modern day America. And, and I think, if you're anything like me, then you've noticed there's a stark contrast between how they did things, what they, what they were focused on, you know, what drove them, and really what drives us today. And it all can be summarized in this single word, the, the title of this series, and that's filled. And we've seen that they were filled with awe. I mean, they were just so impressed by this thing that they had come into, that, that God would die for them, that God would use them, that God was doing miracles in their midst. It was like, whoa. And we've lost some of that. I said that in the first sermon in this series, like there's not a lot of woe left in Christianity today. There's a lot of... I don't know, like, let's gather and get out of there before the last song because I'm hungry, you know? And that's very different than the woe. And, and we saw that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I talked about how we have, we've really neglected that. And, and we, instead of being filled with the Holy Spirit, asking God to move, seeking God, we, we try to come up with our good plans and, and we, we think it's all about our great efforts. But for them, it was like, we have to have God's Spirit moving if anything good is gonna come from this. We saw that they were filled with God's grace and that played out in how they treated one another. They were so filled with God's grace, in fact, that they were selling their own property in order to help those who didn't have anything because they're like, look at all that God gave me that I didn't deserve. You're poor, you're struggling, you don't necessarily deserve help, but I've been entrusted with such incredible grace and filled with such incredible grace that I'm gonna do my best to take care of all of you who subscribe to the same faith as me, we saw that they were filled with signs and wonders. Crazy, awesome stuff was happening. I mean, it was testifying to the truth of the gospel. Their apologetical plan or their, their plan to prove that Christianity was true. Hey, Jesus really did get out of the grave? How? How do you know that? Why should I believe you? Watch. That, that was kind of the idea. And we've totally lost some of that because we just try to argue people into heaven. And, and we just try to come up with better business plans, as I said before. And then last week, we talked about how they were filled with ministry. And they had people stepping up to lead ministries and they had people stepping up to do the things that needed to be done. And yes, I, I made that an advertisement for you staying to have pizza today uh, and learning about all the things that are happening in our church. I am so thankful for 
for the people who have stepped up to lead in this church. They are awesome, but they cannot lead if there is nobody to do. And so let them lead, do something. I would just ask that from you. But this last thing maybe is, is the most central thing. And we're gonna see this story that, that just shows this, ready? They were filled with the gospel. They didn't see it as a burden. They saw it as something that was so powerful in them, inside of them, that it, that it just spilled out. It just poured out of them and, and they told others about it. And, and here's how we're gonna see it. There's this story. Uh, last week we looked at Acts 6, 1 through 7. And in that story, they stepped up. There was new ministry leaders. Great things were happening. And then in between there and our story, there's this really important story that we're not going to look at because it's not so uh, church-centric. It's not really focused on the church. But what happens is that an argument breaks out in, in really one of the synagogues, one of the local religious centers. And, and these people get mad at this guy named Stephen, who we talked about last week. He was one of the new ministry leaders. Uh, Luke, as he writes the book of Acts, says specifically that he was filled with faith. And so Stephen is is doing his thing, he's living for Jesus, he's telling people about Jesus, and a group of people in one of these synagogues, these Jewish religious centers, they don't like it, and so they start to, to reason with Stephen. They start to argue with Stephen. They get in a debate, and Stephen wins the debate, which is a good reminder that uh, Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and our power in the Holy Spirit is much better than anybody's logic, because Stephen may have been arguing with a guy named Paul who knew more than the rest of us will ever know about the faith, and yet, yet, they could not win the argument because Stephen had the power of God on his side. And so what do they do? They say, well, we're not going to win the argument. Let's make some stuff up about Stephen so that he'll get arrested and we can get rid of him. And so they start to say that Stephen is saying things that are against the Old Testament, against the things of God, that he's being blasphemous against God. And Stephen is arrested by the Jewish leaders. And Stephen is put on trial in Acts chapter 7. Stephen gives his defense of the Christian faith it's one of the most beautiful expositions of the Old Testament that exists. I mean, go read it when you go home tonight. Read it if you want to understand like the background of Christianity and how the Old Testament ties to the New Testament. Stephen did it in one short speech. He just gave it all to them, but they were not impressed. And, and as this mob formed, they, they killed him. They picked up stones and they stoned him. And there was this guy named Saul who was standing there and Saul being a young man, he, he watched the coats of the people who were throwing the stones at Stephen. And, and right after that, Luke picks up in our story, Acts 8.1. And Saul approved of their killing him. Now this would be kind of a weird detail in a vacuum, but our story doesn't exist in a vacuum. In fact, uh, we probably all know, most of you at least know already, <clears throat> that Saul becomes Paul. Saul becomes the one that we call the apostle. He becomes the most important Christian missionary ever to live. You are in a church this morning and every other Christian church around America has people in it because of the work that Paul did traveling to the known world, risking life, getting beat up, being shipwrecked, going hungry, all to tell people about the story of Jesus, the gospel. 
And so Luke here does something that Luke does frequently in Acts, and that's he introduces this character that later is going to become very, very important. He says, here's this guy named Saul. Before he was the missionary and the church planner and the apostle, you need to understand this about him. He was the persecutor. And then Luke says, and this is so important, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So just put yourself for one second, not for a lot of seconds because that would be really backwards for us to do, but for a second, put yourself in Paul's shoes. He's a, he's a good Jewish man. He's studying the Jewish faith and I, I really do know what it's like to be, to be uh, young and passionate uh, in your faith and that's really Paul. I remember this girl when I was working in a retirement home telling me that, that, uh, that she was in faith, not in, in nationality or ethnic background, but in faith, she, she subscribed to Judaism and Catholicism, which is, I mean, that can't be done. I mean, that's logically impossible. I mean, one believes Jesus the Messiah, one doesn't. You have to pick one. And, you know, now I would handle that so well and I would be so gracious. But when I was young, 20 years old, working at this retirement home, going to school, learning everything, knew everything. In fact, it was incredible. Uh, I just made her cry while I was vacuuming. I just made her cry because, because she didn't understand like how stupid she sounded. And so I made her cry and, and I thought I might get fired, but my grandma ran the place and so I didn't. Um, and, and that's how that went. I'm sure that I broke some kind of religion in the workplace law or something. But I mean, same. I mean, there was this guy that, that I worked under at a church who, who believed frankly, false things. He, he was not a, a true Bible-believing Christian, and yet he was working in a Bible-believing church, and, and, and I found that out, and the way that I handled that was so arrogant, and uh, if I could go back in time and change some things, that would be at the top of my list, like how I handled it. Uh, I was brash, and uh, instead of dealing with it in the right way, and I told him he shouldn't have his job, and, and argued with him a lot in front of in front of students at the church, in fact, which that's great from the leadership, you know, and so I understand Paul here, like he's young, he's studying to be one of the great religious leaders, he's studying in the best of schools, to put it in our vernacular, I mean, he is, he is, he knows everything, and here comes this new, in his mind, this new faith that is a separatist group from Christianity, and they have to be stopped because in his mind, they are leading people astray. Now, what we know as Christians and what Paul will learn later is that it isn't a new faith. It's actually the continuation of the Jewish faith. And in fact, the Jewish people who had not seen Jesus as the Messiah had deviated from the faith that had gone on for thousands and thousands of years. But Paul at this point doesn't understand that and he makes it his goal in life to put a stop to this new religion. It becomes later, after he accepts Jesus, he has this encounter with Jesus, he sees the resurrected Christ and, it, and, and he gives his life to Jesus and he becomes the apostle, he goes from being the persecutor to the apostle, but this still, this thing in his life becomes such an important part of his history. The thing that he can look back on and say, God has so much grace because look who I was and look what he did for me and look how he changed me. 
And listen, I mean, listen to the language he uses later as he writes letters as the great apostle. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Galatians 1.13, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. 1 Timothy 1.13, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Paul looks back on this time in his life and, and, and it's the reason, it's the reason that for him, and we'll talk more about this, but it's the reason for him that the gospel story just flew out of him. It just overflowed, and he just, he just said it to people. He just wanted to tell everybody. He didn't see it as a burden because he looked back, and he said, I murdered people. I had people arrested and murdered because I disagreed with them. And, and you know how I said I'd like to have it back when I dealt with that pastor? Paul would have liked to have had this back, but you can't have things back in life. And so he just knew that the grace gave him forgiveness and mercy despite the things he could not have back. And Paul's persecution, I mean, the church is, is, is scattered because of it. And it's not just Paul, by the way. I mean, he's seeking, you know, religious leaders' permission to do all this. And so it, it's a corporate deal, but Paul's the driving force behind it. And, and, and Luke says in a, with hyperbole, in a hyperbolic way, that all except the apostles flee from Jerusalem. Now, it means like, I mean, when you see hyperbole, right, you don't go, well, every single one, but you also don't go, well, he just means like hardly anybody. I mean, pretty much every Christian person outside of leadership had to leave Jerusalem because the persecution grew so strongly after Stephen was killed. They were fearful for their lives. Now, you might wonder, just as like an academic question, why did the apostles stay and why weren't they arrested and persecuted and killed? And, and we don't know the answer to that, but I actually think it's just kind of interesting historically to, to ponder that. And, uh, and historians and, and commentary writers, guys that write about the New Testament, they kind of give three, three reasons. Maybe they just stayed and were bold and, and God took care of them. That's kind of one. Maybe they went underground. You know, they just weren't as vocal. They weren't preaching in the synagogues anymore. But the last one, I think this is probably uh, most true. There was serious superstition about hurting or persecuting or messing with a holy person, especially a holy person who is connected to healing. And we've already seen that these disciples, these apostles, these early Christian leaders were, were feared by the people because God was using them so powerfully, I mean, so powerfully that if somebody touched Peter's shadow, then they'd be healed. And so it's pretty likely in my mind that, that they weren't gonna mess with them. They were not gonna come in and say, hey, you, Peter, you're arrested because they feared what God would do to them as those people demonstrated incredible power. Now, it's really interesting here because Paul's persecution is, is, is pretty, pretty bad. I mean, uh, the word that it uses for destroy is a word that means to treat outrageously, especially of personal injuries, or, and notice this, I mean, this is how it would be used in kind of regular language, ravage as like a savage beast. So like, like you see a lion devouring his prey, like this is the strength of the word used for what Paul is trying to do to the early church. Uh, he's going into people's houses. 
I mean, think about that right now. I mean, we have, we have some of that around our world today. I mean, some of that's taken place in China for years, but, but it's a, you have a house church. I mean, you're not going out into the streets and saying, hey, Jesus is the Savior. I mean, you're meeting privately and you're just worshiping God. You're not bothering anybody. You're not even at that point trying to tell other people about Jesus. And yet Paul is not satisfied with that. He's coming into people's homes and it was similar to today and that this was seen as a private kind of sacred space. You don't show up unannounced. You call ahead of time and he's going into their homes to make sure that he does his best to arrest them and end the movement. And beyond that, and this is just like something that we wouldn't really think about, but, but Paul is arresting both men and women and in the Roman world, women were treated just more graciously with more mercy in the courts when it comes to arresting them than, than, they were, than men were, and, and perhaps more than today, where if you break a law, man or woman, you have the same consequence, right? But for that first century person, it was like, yeah, we deal with the men, but the women, we're gonna kind of let them go. We're gonna be uh, kinder to them as far as law goes, way more mean to them as far as the home goes and personal interactions. But as far as the law goes, we're gonna leave them to be dealt with by their husbands and yet Paul is so obsessed with ending this movement that he is going into people's private homes and in a savage way taking men and women both and throwing them into jail in hopes that they will either be talked back into Judaism or dealt with beaten killed whatever it took to end this movement now if you're, just me, right? Like if you don't know what happens, if you don't know that we're sitting in a church today, right? If, if you've lived on a deserted island your whole life and you have no idea what's going on in the world, that there's crosses on all kinds of buildings or that, you know, most hospitals have been started by Christian people or that much of the good that takes place, even though we don't have this kind of idea of Christianity or modern circles, but much of the, the aid and relief that happens is all done in the name of Jesus. If you didn't know any of that, then what you'd expect is like, yeah, that small movement of a few thousand people, it probably ended. Once the religious leaders and the masses, the mobs got involved and started going into people's houses and arresting them and they had to literally flee the city. You have a few thousand people. I mean, just imagine that. What if there was one church today of a few thousand people and all of a sudden they all had to leave and go into different cities? You'd be like, Pfft. It's over, right? I mean, these people aren't trained enough. They're not educated enough. We don't have pastors. This, they don't have all the answers that, that we need to talk people into Christianity. I mean, it's over. That's it. That's the end. But that's not what we read here. In fact, God used this terrible evil committed against the first church to continue the mission and the promise of the church. Jesus had said that his disciples would, would make disciples in, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what we see, and this is so fascinating, is that the first church was kind of stuck. I don't know if they weren't taking Jesus' command slash promise seriously or not, but they were stuck in Jerusalem. And now they scatter. And God uses that to spread Christianity absolutely everywhere. One author said the divine purpose overrules human malice to bring to effect the overarching divine plan. God uses this incredible persecution to continue his mission, to further his mission. And the question becomes how? 
Why? Because like I said, if that happened today, one single church of thousands of people, if they had to go into every city in America, it would end. It would end. And so what is the difference? And it's seen in Acts 8.4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The word is synonymous with the gospel, the story I have already told this morning. The early church was so filled with the word, the gospel, that they just proclaimed it, they preached it, they told it everywhere they went. It's interesting because this word that translates in the New Testament gospel can, can translate good news. I mean, that's its most basic meaning, but, but we've lost some of that, haven't we? We've, we've lost that, like... We think of it as bad news, like I'm going to tell you the good news, but really I'm telling you, and I, I, I feel this every time I preach, really I'm telling you that if you don't accept the good news, you're going to hell. And so that's where I think we got hung up. I, I understand that every week. I usually don't talk about hell in my sermons. Sometimes I do when it's appropriate, but I don't, I don't say, hey, accept Jesus or burn, you know, like this, isn't, this is not a normal part of, of how I preach. But yet I, every Sunday, it's like, as I say this, if people are really paying attention to me, whether I'm intending to say it or not, really what I'm saying is, hey, you're destined for hell and so you better accept this story that I just told you or you'll go to hell. Nobody likes to be told they'll go to hell. That's something we yell at people when we're mad at them on the streets, right? Hey, da-da-da, I'm not gonna say it, but you know what I mean, right? I mean, that's just something we say. We don't mean that nice usually. But this, this first church and the people that filled it I think because it was so close to them. They saw it as good news. Even if you read between the lines and you think about hell, you think about the opposite. For them, it was such incredibly good news that it just spilled out of them. I don't know if you're like this. I am incredible at keeping bad secrets. It's part of the job, right? Like you need to be able to share certain things with me that aren't so good and I need to be a vault. I don't, and I know not all pastors are this way. I don't even share things with Bryn and we've had a handful of interactions through the years where, where people have told me things and then uh, I don't tell Bryn them and you know it's four months later and then these people will just start talking in front of Bryn and she's shooting me a glance like, uh, what's happening right now, you know? And, and it's like, she's not caught up to speed. I'm a vault when it comes to bad things. Frankly, I don't even, it's, it's easy because I don't really like sharing bad things. It's not that fun. But tell me something good and it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. I broke the news of Ryder. I don't know if Ryder's in here. He's a kid in our church. I think he's back in the kid room. Kids room. No, it wasn't. Was it Ryder? It was Ryder. I broke the news of Ryder's birth on Facebook, telling Josh, his dad's parents, who didn't know he had arrived yet. Um, if you tell me something good, it's like a zero. Don't ever, please don't tell me something good. Like, don't tell me you're pregnant. I actually, Randall and Michelle, they told me they're right back there. They told me they were pregnant. Uh, the baby's just born. It's new. It's here today for the first time. But about nine months ago, they said we're pregnant. And I just turned and said, hey, they're pregnant. And they're like, we haven't told them yet. It's like, oh, uh, real story. Good news, if you're like me, spills out of you, right? And this first church... It was like, it's like, you're telling me, you're telling me 
that I rejected God, that I that I sinned against God, that I broke the commands that God has given me, and yet he wanted a relationship with me so much, he wanted to spend eternity with me so bad that he came out of heaven and he gave his life for me, but he didn't actually stay dead. He got out of the grave so that I could live forever in the eternal perfection of heaven. That's what you're telling me? Wow, I'm gonna go tell somebody else that's incredible. And making it even easier for them. And I know we have a more uphill battle. But it's like, Peter's like, yeah, I was good friends with Jesus. He was the most incredible man. He was God in human form. I mean, I loved him. He loved me. And, and I actually denied knowing him. And I watched him die. But, but then he got out of a grave. And we hung out. Like we hung out for weeks. We ate together after he was dead. And trust me, he was dead. Isn't that sweet? It spilled out of them. Another author said this, because those who are persecuted remain so certain of their message on account of their experience with the Spirit and the Spirit's people, they carry it everywhere they go. I mean, this is the truth for Paul. Maybe you, you noticed this earlier, but in that 1 Timothy 1.13 verse that I read, he says, he says, I was shown mercy. Like what he's saying is, I deserve to be punished by God. I deserved it, but God gave me mercy by, by bringing me into a relationship with him. And after he had experienced this incredible mercy, I mean, all he could do was to run around the known world saying, you need to know about the mercy too because my life sucked before I knew the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of God. None of it compared. That's what he said. None of the things that I thought were good compared to knowing Jesus, and all I want to do is make him known. And so Paul becomes this, this incredible Christian missionary, but it wasn't just his work that got the job done. It was, it was the work of these early disciples. It didn't take some super, you know, like called specifically, like you're my man situation like it was for Paul. I mean, God like hand-selected Paul and said, you're my guy to do this. It was the disciples we talk about Paul as the greatest Christian missionary, but the truth is the greatest mission work was not done by Paul. It was done by all who scattered because they were so filled with the gospel in Acts eleven nineteen through 21. We read this. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution, talking about what we're reading in Acts 8, that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word, only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This church in Antioch becomes one of the strongest, most uh, foundational churches for all of Christianity. As I said last week, it's a church that we can still look back on and glean really great principles from for how we ought to be doing church today. Last week, I mentioned another guy named Philip who's less famous. Not much is written about him in the New Testament. Philip was one of those early ministry leaders and he is scattered with the rest of the disciples and Philip goes just after our story today and he starts preaching to people. Goes into Samaria, he takes the gospel a step forward, moving towards the fulfillment of what Jesus had said, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. And he starts telling people, we have this crazy story about he, how he leads this Ethiopian man to Christ by looking back at the book of Isaiah. 
And later in the book of Acts, Philip is known as the evangelist. And it all happens because the people of God were, were scattered, but they were filled with the gospel message. And, and, and here's, here's, here's what, what I think our problem is, one of the great problems of the American church. It's that we've forgotten how good the gospel is. And so we see it as a burden that we must share instead of the good news that we get to share. I was, it was a weird week this week. It was all in all a pretty laid back week. I, I didn't, I felt like I had more time than I needed this week, which is super abnormal. Thank you to our new ministry leaders. Um, but like a lot of bad information came to me this week. Uh, things that I, I can't really tell you or share with you, but you know, ranging from relationships to, to death. One I can tell you, I got a, a, a Facebook message from a guy in Florida and he said some people that used to go to our church uh, live in Sherwood and, and the, the husband just died. Can you reach out to them? Thanks, buddy. I was just enjoying my Starbucks, you know? I mean, this is hard. And, and so I reached out. They, they haven't responded to me. I left a message if you're wondering how that went. But uh, just all kinds of things. And then last night we got some more bad information. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm laying in bed putting Hazel to sleep. And, and, and this bad information somehow comes up. It just kind of comes out of my mouth. You know, we're kind of talking and... Uh, and Hazel, in her two-year-old mind, begins to wrestle with this. And, I mean, like, why is that happening? And, and other things. I, and, and I'm given this, I mean, it's literally like a 30-minute theological conversation like, about why bad things happen and I mean the question that I can't answer anyway when a 35 year old comes to me and says why does God allow bad things to happen now try to explain that to a two-year-old right like why is this happening and then and then and then I'm just breaking it down and I'm like yeah but heaven right and and then Hazel's like Drew be in heaven her uncle who played box drum up here today Drew be in heaven yeah because he loves Jesus Mommy be in heaven? Yeah, because she loves Jesus. Daddy be in heaven? Yeah, I love Jesus. And, and it hit me as I'm laying there trying to explain to my two-year-old daughter questions ranging from why do bad things happen to can I wear my purple dress tomorrow? <laughs> The world, and I said this to her, why? Because this world is filled with bad. You are not immune to, from it, Hazel. And you may not understand that right now, but it's going to come. And it's filled with bad, and we cannot escape the bad. But the gospel is the good news that can allow us to get through all of it. No matter what you deal with, no matter how many evil things you've done, like Paul, no matter how hurt or broken 
you are, no matter how much you are suffering. The gospel is the good news for that thing, for those issues. And when we view it like that, like they did, then it's not a burden that we must share. It's the good news that we get to share. And my hope for today is not, it's not this, and I've preached this before, but like, hey, you need to go tell somebody about Jesus. That's not the point of this sermon. The point of this sermon is you need to get back to a place where you remember again how incredible the gospel is so that you start to share the good news with others. It's interesting because in the first century, traveling to spread your religion like we think of with missions was pretty much unheard of. Uh, There's some smart people out there, and I disagree with this, and uh, take it for what it's worth, but there's some smart people out there that think that Paul is the only, Paul and his people that traveled with him, uh, would be the only historical figures that we have that traveled intentionally like as missionaries, the way that we think as missionaries today. Like I said, I don't agree with that. However, it was pretty unheard of. That's just to illustrate how, how unique it was that Paul did this. But what was normal was merchants going from city to city and, and just talking about their religion. You know, you travel to one city, you talk about your religion, you tell people about it because you're passionate about what you believe. And this is exactly what the early Christians did. And they, the good news was so good to them and filled them so strongly that they did this despite knowing that it's the exact reason that Stephen had been killed. We won't share the good news because we, we're like, eh, they might not like me anymore. They might make fun of me. It might hurt our relationship a little bit. But they did it despite knowing it could cost them their lives. And I'll end with this because it might have been divine. As I was finishing up my sermon on Friday, I was sitting I was sitting um, outside at Starbucks and this, these two guys were talking behind me and uh, I, I listen to everything everybody says at every other table. So if you have a bad secret, you can sit next to me at Starbucks. But if you have good news, don't sit next to me at Starbucks because I'll tell the world. And, and this guy was talking about his journey to Christianity and he used this phrase that we don't use as much anymore that I don't really use because I try not to speak uh, with too much Christian vernacular uh, that's not, uh, you know, clearly understood to the outside world. But, uh, but this phrase, shared his faith with me. He was talking about a guy that he had just met on a street and he said, this guy shared his faith with me and it changed this person's life forever. And when we begin to remember that the gospel is the good news that, that goes above and beyond all of the bad news, then it becomes natural for us to share our faith with other people. So if you're a Christian, remember how good the good news is. Hopefully that'll compel you to share it. And if you're not a Christian, understand this, that we think this is the greatest news and that you should embrace it or at least explore it. Let me, uh, let me ask you to do this this morning. Instead of me praying right now, and we've been doing this a little bit through this series, I just want you to bow your heads this morning. And uh, as you bow your heads, let me ask you to pray one of two things. First, if you're not a Christian, I want you to say, God, Jesus, 
draw me into your kingdom, reveal yourself to me, help me to understand how good this thing is. Or, or just if you're ready, say, God, I give you my life because I need to embrace that good news. And if you're, you are a Christian, then I want you to say, God, God, remind me of how incredible this mercy and grace is. And let me be filled with your gospel. Would you bow your heads and pray that?